0: This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's show. I've been to the Dune I-X reissue and watched an amazing 10-minute preview of Dune Part 2 featuring the Sandworm Ride, and it's time for reactions. This is Marcus, your friendly editor at DuneNewsNet.com, and I'm here with two more of the Dune Talk regulars. Hey
1: everyone, it's Johnny Sobchak here again, it's the middle heat of dune season. It feels like, or at least getting close to it, uh, really excited to discuss what we saw at the special events and, uh, tickets are on sale now that it seems like there's an ad or social media post every day. People are talking about it online. It's just a great, great feeling, great time and really excited.
2: Hey everyone, Simon Dowdy back. Um, I know look different. I've been busy. Uh, But like Johnny said, uh, super excited. I feel like every time I open Twitter slash X, there's some new Dune little clip or something telling
0: me to go buy my tickets. Great. Let's talk Dune Part 2 Sneak Peek. Dune Movie News. So this past uh, Wednesday, Dune Part 1 returned to select IMAX locations across the United States and Canada for one night only. At the end, viewers were treated to a sneak peek just over 10 minutes at Dune part two. Note that similar events will also be held at many international territories between February seven and nine. As usual, check dunesnet.com for our list of countries and dates. So first of all, great to rewatch uh, Dune on an IMAX screen once again, uh, two years after original release, right? And every shot, it just contains so much details and the big screen is just such an incredible way to taking those uh, uh, visuals and sounds. Something yeah. was different this time though. Uh, before the movie started, there was a message from uh, Timothy Chalmay and Zendaya, and uh, just reminding audiences, you know, stay seated um, until the, the end. And then, of course, uh, after the credits roll, it was what we were all waiting for a big screen preview of Duke Part Two. First, a scissor reel, uh, which had a mix of scenes where we previously seen from the trailers, as well as a bunch of brand new shots, uh, intercut with um, commentary from, uh, from Timothy Chalmay, Zendaya, Austin Butler, uh, Florence Pugh, and, um, and Rebecca Ferguson. So um yeah, l- let's talk about some of the the, the, the new, new shots and like any other takeaways you got from seeing those uh, uh, those previous shots as well on the on big screen. Uh, Simon, do you want to kick off? Sure. Um, it was
2: so fast. I mean, that sizzle was probably under two minutes. I get that the main focus was the 10 minute clip that we're going to be talking about. but it was nice to see more of like the cast behind the scenes. I personally would like to see like hours of that stuff, but that's just me because, you know, I want to see more of Dune 2. I think the biggest thing was what we actually got to see in the 10-minute clip that impressed me the most because it was such so, a bunch of fast scenes. We saw the scene with the Baron, I think, in the beginning again when he's on Arrakis, when he's floating that we've seen in the trailer. But I... I don't recall any major scenes that stood, stood out in my mind from the little sizzle at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I would say um, in terms of the sizzle itself, you know, before we get to the worms section, um, it was very quick. It was very much in the introduction before the main sequence. You know, we kind of got some snippets of like behind the scenes footage mixed in with footage from the film uh, and also, of course, some interviews and quick comments from the cast. and. Denis Villeneuve had a had a great little uh introduction as well. But yeah, I, I we got some great new shots of Arrakis, Eric. Uh it, it just <laughs> it's not anything radically different, I think, than what we've really seen so far, but it was very, very cool. Um, getting to see more, I think, of like the Fremen culture, some of the sieges, um, things of that nature. And then, you know, the way they kind of let it into this. But overall, that opening sizzle reel, I would say, really emphasized the action and the intensity and the scale of everything that we're going to be getting in this movie, which is totally amped up from the first one. And I think that was a perfect kind of setting the scene in terms of, you know, what what you can expect from the movie, but also what we were going to see in the elongated sequence of the worm riding. And getting to hear the cast talk, it's really the first time we've heard them talk at length, I feel. Um, you know, we've gotten a little quotes here and there in the media austin butler doing interviews and stuff like that but um for them to be sitting down specifically talking about the movie it was great to kind of get some of that more behind the scenes type of a segment and you know stuff that you find on the blu-ray you know months after the movie comes out things like that i'm looking forward to more of that i'm sure we'll get plenty between now and the release Uh, but i feel like that was really a good setting for it and then um build up just kind of really pitching the movie really well really hard to the audience which The people that were there watching it probably don't need all that much convincing, especially by the way, um, you know, things went overall. I will also add that, frankly, and I know we're talking about the new footage, but if they hadn't had any new footage or anything special, I still would have been there to watch part one because it was incredible to see it again in IMAX. It was like watching it for the first time. Um, I feel like I could appreciate it in a whole new way. And I hadn't seen it. I I purposely waited because I figured they would do a re-release. Um, and so getting to see it after, you know, over I think a year, maybe a year and a half of, of not watching it was pretty great. Um, and I think it, it was also a great kind of palate cleanser in terms of like your your expectations, because like you're really dialing into like what the first movie was in, his, in, in every little scene and overall, um, its energy, it's the music, the effects. Um, and I think that's what made the worm riding sequence that we got to see just even more impactful is because it it, there is a different energy a different quality to it even though it's very much the same world the same filmmaker all all the same elements it just it's got something extra to it and i just feel like if that's any indication of the rest of the movie um and we're gonna go into more detail here in a moment it's i think the movie is really going to be special and i've been saying that for a long time i do think that all things considered it does have every pop you know
2: opportunity or possibility to surpass what we got in part one I agree with Johnny, it was great seeing it again, and as much as i I haven't seen it, probably did six, seven months, or even a year. I mean I, I see it often when I'm editing, you know, the show grabbing stills, but really sitting down and watching it, and especially in IMAX, I remember it being big, but the scale, like some of the shots, like the ships and like even the desert scenes. It's just amazing what uh, Greg Frazier and the team did on that. And just, I still got goosebumps. Look, I'll be the first one to admit, there's some scenes where I cry. Like when Lito's like, I wish we had more time. There's a tear coming down. (laughs) Look, I go through the range of emotions. I get happy. I get sad when I watch it. And it was great seeing it again. A couple of weeks before we get to see part two. And I kind of did the same thing, Johnny. I didn't want to watch it on like TV or whatever Mm -hmm. because I knew it was going to be re released. We were hoping for that. And it was kind of a great welcome back to Arrakis for a little bit and re like refresh our mind about it. I think, uh,
0: Giant, maybe you had mentioned that on uh, on X about how, you know, we've had already three, you know, big size trailers and there's still so much Mm -hmm. that we haven't seen yet. And, um, in the Israel itself, cause I was, uh, taking quick, quick notes. I think that there was at least like, yeah, maybe eight or more shots that we, we hadn't seen before mixed mixed with the other shots and that the, there was certainly a couple that stood up, but the scissor itself. It starts with, um, we hear the thumper sounds, uh, and then, you know, first we see one thumper. And then you're you're zooming out, and then you see that there's a lot of thumpers, you know, that's out. and like that can only mean mean one thing, you know, like they're, they're calling all those worms over, and they're gonna, you know, be heading towards uh, towards key. <laughs> that's, that's probably like re- really like towards uh, towards end of the movie. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely know. I thought I thought that was a great way to introduce it, Marcus. I'm glad
1: you pointed that out Um, because just the totally forgot of what about that, that, that means. Yeah, just the implication of seeing so many thumpers in one spot. You're just like, wow, this is really gonna be gonna be something special and you're right we did see again there was a lot of similar footage Um, maybe new shots that were just slightly different or like just before or after something we've already seen Um, especially some of the action sequences but yeah I mean the the few new truly new stuff we did get to see was very exciting and kind of alluded to some stuff I feel like maybe they were I'm I'm sure we will see some of these shots and I think we already have in just the last couple days some quick glimpses of these shots before the movie comes out Um, but I feel like maybe uh, I almost think that maybe because they know that these are like the hardcore fans are going to be there, like they're willing to show a little bit extra in terms of, uh, you know, not caring about certain things like down the line towards the end of the movie. Cause there are some epic, epic and dark looking, um, and dark, I mean like violent and sinister seeming, um, shots, uh, especially with, um, just the big battle that's going to take place at the end of this movie. and the infiltration of Eric and all these different things that are going to happen that we've already gotten some some glimpses of. Um, lots of blood, lots of dirt, lots of worms. Uh-huh. And it just looks great. As, as you said, Simon, uh, Greg Fraser, he obviously won the Oscar for part one. And I just the more we see this movie, I'm like, wow, like I don't know how they managed to really just raise the bar and, uh, and just, hey, you, you think you can get better than part one, but lo and behold, here we are and it just looks like they've expanded and they've taken things that they felt like they maybe could improve on or expand upon from the first one, and I just think that they they have done something really special just off the little bit that we've seen, you know, on top of the trailers, of course. But um, um, I will say there was a really cool. This isn't even plot related whatsoever, but just as an in, an, an image that popped out in my head when I saw it was uh, a new shot of Getty Prime, where and this is actually in some of the recent uh, the recent clip that came out online, so you can find a, a, a image of it. It basically is like, at first I thought it was an explosion. It's like, oh, wow, like Getty Prime, is this under attack? Like what's going on? But it's after you look at it a couple of times, it's clearly fireworks going on. And it's still, it's like nighttime, but it's also like, is it black and white? Because the fireworks are kind of white looking. So it's just such a cool visual. And I'm excited. I, the thing that I like about that the most uh, that stood out to me apart from the actual visual is getting more Getty Prime, getting more Harkonnens, getting more of that culture, that life on that planet. Um, cause you know, we only had a couple instances of, of showing up on, on, uh, Getty Prime in the first movie. And a lot of it was interior indoors. Now we know we have the gladiator scene. There's probably gonna be some sort of celebration, you know, after, um, it just looks very cool. I'm, I'm excited that we're getting some more of that. In addition to all the amazing things that we're seeing on Arrakis, of course. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's just as someone who's rereading the book right now, yeah, I'm, and I haven't even gotten to the parts of the, this movie. Like I'm mostly in part one still. I'm, I'm getting there, but um, and just all these things are coming to my mind. I'm like, wow, like they are really going like for it all. I feel, and uh I think that especially the scale of the action, and we're talking, we're talking about the sandworm here, um, but just the actual battles and hand to hand combat and and long shots and close ups, and it all just looks like. I know Villeneuve isn't known for like being an action director and, you know, I, I know some people have been critical like how part one was handled in some respects. I thought overall it was done pretty well, but I just feel like he, knowing how much that he has to do in this movie, I feel like he's really trying to sharpen his his abilities in that regard and I feel like it's already showing up in just like the little bit we've seen. Um, we've seen the charging in the battle. We've seen some of the more epic like shots with the worms and whatnot, but I just feel like there's a lot, again, still that people are not, have not seen um, and the, the few glimpses we got of that also were one of the main things that stood out, especially the color and the lighting and the nighttime stuff that's going on, how many people are on the ground. Like, obviously a lot of it is CG are integrated with CG, but, um, yeah, it, it's just a whole new ball game. It feels like, even though it is so similar building on, on part one, um, and obviously the worm, the worm ride that we're about to talk about, like that is one of the things that I'd say more, maybe more than anything else is going to be built upon and used so much compared to the first one because we only got a couple of real glimpses or three maybe three encounters with a worm in part one and had, the worms seem like they're going to be a every
0: every day occurrence every scene occurrence in this
1: movie which i don't think any dune fans will will be
0: complaining about t- touching on a, on just a couple of those uh, those those brand new scenes uh, so john you, you'd call out the we see the fireworks over giddy prime so that's probably like the celebration after uh, you know, fate has won in the arena and, you know, he's, he's been announced as the, the, the heir, heir to the Harkman's, uh, um, we also saw a shot of, uh, two, uh, Harkman harvesters under attack, um, there was a shot of the emperor's ship. It's, uh, you know, uh, up above the air, fl- flying, flying over there, probably going to the planes to, to land and, uh, send the base there. Uh, we see an intimate moment between, uh, Paul and Shawnee. So that, that's probably like a bit, um, yeah, towards the, the the middle of the film, when when they they, they really have a full relationship, um, we also see one shot of Paul lying on the, on the floor of the desert. It's unclear if he's like waking up there or of course, that something's happening. It could be a vision, uh, and we got a different angles of, of Chani riding on the sandworm. Uh, so, like r- r- really uh, a lot um, a lot happening and just that, those those flashes. Uh, but I think the, the the one that I do want to touch on and spend a bit of time on before we go to the sandworm ride is there. There's there's one shot of, um, what appears to Jessica, uh, walking in a, in a CH room, uh, I'm, I'm assuming it's a, it's a room in a CH and you know, she's, she's, a going to be our religious leader. So she's going to have a really nice, nice room in the CH there. There's, there's decorations. Um, but she, she's walking around and it clearly yeah. looks like she's, she's pregnant in that in shot. I mean, it could just be me, like from, 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 from what I've seen forever, but her positioning and, and the size of her stomach. Um, so yeah, like again, I want to say like I, I've just seen seen the question out there so many times. Is Alia in the movie? Yes, she is in, in the movie. But, uh, yeah. So what what were your your guys thoughts on on that uh, that shot or or if you want to jump on the,
2: the other ones? Well, Marcus, you know we we got a chance to see it together, and my first reaction was like, "Where's Aaliyah in the sizzle reel?" But I I didn't notice the Jessica stomach then. I, I would like them to release that footage maybe in a couple of weeks. So we like that we can see it again. But I think it's super interesting that you notice that. Um, Aaliyah will definitely be in the movie. Denise not going to show her, sadly. We're so close, so far. It's like almost Christmas. We're almost opening our present. And I think he wants to keep Aaliyah a secret for non book fans and non, like, even 84 fans. By the way, the 84 movie is getting released again. People get a chance to see it in theater. I know I'm going. It's going be, to be interesting to see that in the big screen. But that's a really interesting shot. I, like I said, I totally was overwhelmed just by all the new shots and everything. Good memory, Marcus.
1: Yeah, that moment, um, it didn't stand out to me as far as pregnancy is concerned, just because it was such a quick glimpse in her body position and her, what she's wearing. Like, it's hard to see. Um, I can definitely understand, though, that that thinking. Frankly, I I, I don't know. I guess the, the facts of the matter is, like, we know she's pregnant because she says so in part one. So I'm not really, like, thinking that in, in depth about it. Like, I would ima- imagine her stomach's going to be showing at some point in part two. I mean, it would make sense. Um, I guess uh, the, the big question is we don't know when or, I guess, if she's going to give birth during this movie. <laughs> Presumably she is. The thing is, we... So we, as far as we can tell, at least being book readers and seeing all the footage that we have, I don't know how late Jessica shows up, like where she's at during the second half of the movie or like the final third of the movie, for example. Um, Because everything we've seen from the big battle and what's happening at the very end and the duel with Fade and Paul, as far as anyone has pointed out, I haven't seen Jessica in any of that. Um, Obviously, I would say maybe the latest Appearance that she's made that we know for sure would be like where she's talking to him on the rocks, and she has the face tattoos, and um, uh, that seems like it's right maybe before they go to battle, or, or perhaps at some later date or something. I'm not really sure, but that and obviously we don't see her full body in that that uh, image, but uh, yeah, I mean she's pregnant for sure, and we know that we're getting uh, a child uh, one way or another. Just a matter of, and that's what I love about part two compared to part one already. Um, is I feel, and I've heard other people say this, and I was talking to my friend about it the other night after we saw the footage. Part one, you could kind of, as if you've read the book, you could kind of like parse out like, okay, it's probably going to end around here. It's going to have to do this, this, and this. You have to explain this, set that up. Um, now, we still know that there's certain plot points, characters, events that they're going to have to do in this movie and where it's going to end, quote unquote. But I feel like there's just so much more mystery in terms of the structure and like maybe different creative liberties they could take with it um and a lot of room for like interpretation and and uh artistic freedom so i think there's just a lot of fun that's going to come from this movie and i think we're already seeing that in the footage that we're seeing i think that we're seeing bill Nook really kind of without any restraints and uh really just i I think he knows that messiah is probably going (laughs) to happen all like i think all likelihood is pointing toward that um and i think he just really wants to like tee it up well and like have people in love with this movie and being be willing or open to watching a third one potentially, you know, with with that option and knowing that Messiah is going to be a very different kind of movie. Um, I think we're just going to get you know everything and then some with this one, which is great. Um, and, and all those shots and everything from the worm stuff to the fade stuff, getting prime to Jessica just in a room, standing or pacing back and forth. Like, there's so much that you can read into or like analyze, and I think that's great. And I'm just I know that we're going to do that once the movies out, you know, obviously.
2: Well, let's not forget, also, Jessica does take the water of life. So there could be scenes where we don't see her, where she's in her water of life type of coma. And uh, in the book, I don't remember, but I know in the 84 movie they make clear that there is a time jump. So maybe the movie starts off right after part one, you know, and then we see the rise of Paul becoming Moadid, and the love story with him and Chani grow. Because, spoilers, there's not one birth. There could be two births. If, if we know what we're talking about with Chani and Paul. So that's going to be important too. So maybe Jessica does get to spend time with Aaliyah, take care of her. And maybe every shot with Jessica in the movie later, she is with A- Aaliyah. So it, it's trailer trickery like how they're hiding her. Because when we were watching the sandworm scene, I was like, wait, where's Jessica? She should worry about her son. But then I was like, maybe she's recovering from the water of life. And we don't know how early. And I want to say the sandworm scene is, has to be halfway through the movie because of Paul and Johnny's relationship looks like, you know, they're actually together, the headband. And mm-hmm. like me and Johnny, I know we talked about this. In the first movie, Chani does not care about Paul. <laughs> she does not give an F about him. <laughs> like, just a little boy. Like, go away. I hope you die honorably. So we have to create that. And it seems like from some interviews I've seen also that Chani doesn't trust Paul as the Messiah, the Muad'Deed. And that's something I love that she's going to have to be like he is the chosen one. You know, he is the quiz that has her at. So it's gonna take time. It's not gonna be like, oh
0: Paul, I love you right away. Yeah, and, and Shani called it out in like uh, you know, in, in her comments that she she loves to see those sort of I think she described it as conflicted characters, uh, like that that they're in between a lot of different things. or so her, her love for Paul and like her loyalty to her people. So I think we as we discussed in the previous episodes, we're gonna see a lot of that that conflict uh, within Shani and how that's it. Uh, in terms of her going against prophecy and uh, yeah, maybe not, not fully trusting him. So then, okay. as we've uh, alluded to, it was the, the big scene that uh, Denis Villeneuve introduced. And he, he talked about how, as, as a boy, as a, as a young reader, he, he dropped of that scene of Paul riding with the Samurai for the first time. And then, indeed, we got to see that, that, whole, um, that whole scene. I, I think it must have been about five to six minutes, um, and we had already seen maybe like one minute, one and a half minutes based on the trailer footage, but yeah, seeing, seeing the whole thing on, on screen, that was, uh, amazing. Like I'll, will hand it over to, to Johnny. Like what, what were your thoughts? Like seeing that, that screen, that scene in full.
1: Uh, yeah, it was a lot. It was, uh, I like you, Marcus uh, and Simon, I feel like we would have been happy to see anything of course, but, um, I think, as you said in the trailer, we do get some glimpses of the scene. So you kind of have some idea as, as a book reader, obviously you kind of know how it's going to go, but, um, It was what we expected in that sequence. But what I didn't expect and kind of what I alluded to earlier is that the movie, and I said this as soon as I got out because I I, was just, I was so like, not surprised, but like it it just very much uh, imprinted on me the fact that the movie is going to be different in some significant ways to part one. Um, I feel like this movie, it's just going to be... Uh, a different energy. Vildo is just going to be kind of doing whatever he wants Um, cause he, he knows that he doesn't have to play it safe to try and get the, another movie greenlit. Um, obviously he wants to do with but it's not like there's a, a third part of do the original novel. Um, and so in this scene, it just, it's, we enter into the scene and it's just quiet. It's like, all you can hear is the stand rustling and some people like moving around. And you hear the conversation and they're doing the sand walk up the dune. Um, and immediately I, I and I just felt like I was like, wow, like this is just so because we just watched part one. So it's like you've been rattled for like two and a half hours with Han Zimmer's score and like the attack on Eric Keen and like the sand harvester and the sandworm sequence and like Caladan, like moving from Caladan to, to Arrakis and Getty Prime being introduced and the Baron and like there's all these crazy things that happen. And it's loud and it's like super like visually like arresting. And then all of a sudden, like you're in the desert and it's quiet. And there's this conversation happening and it's just such a different energy. So impressive. Um, And and it felt like restrained in a lot of ways. Um, And that's how it starts out. And that's really how it goes through like the first half of the scene, because the first half of the scene is all the buildup to the worm ride itself. Um, And I thought that it was just such a great buildup. You get these really fun like character moments between the Fremen. Um, Shashakli seems like she's gonna be a really fun character, a very likable character. I know people were kind of surprised like because when when she was cast, um, the news came out and people were like, huh, like, I, I, that's just like a, such a one one moment character in the book. Um, it's interesting that like we got that news and then she was on the poster and she, like she's been a little bit more prominent uh, Which some of that stuff is like contractual. but. In just this scene alone, she clearly has like a presence and she has a fun like banter with Chani and she's one of the the, the most, if not the most vocal of the Fremen that are in this group watching the worm riding. She yells out to Paul, and like has this moment with Chani, which is like the funniest part of the scene, probably. Um, and then there's a back and forth with and Paul. That's also kind of funny, but also like has a great like weight to it. Um, it's just like very impressive, like tonally like balancing it and very different from like almost anything I've seen Villeneuve do. Um I can think of like some standout moments of like smart, like more subtle humor, like a rival um, and things like that. But I just thought it was so well done in terms of tone. And then in terms of form and and actual like uh, technical elements, I mean, it's, again, we saw it in IMAX. It was so overwhelming and awesome. And when I say awesome, I mean like truly like awe-inspiring with the way that Greg Frazier hits, you know, the camera, like there's these longer takes, and then the edits are like very like very clean cut and then even with the worm approaching, there's a shot sustained of Paul on the dune watching the worm come forward for like ten or fifteen seconds. I'm just like watching and it looks so impressed, looks so good. there's no- nothing about the effects that stands out or looks strange. um and then an actual ride in terms of how the sound is incorporated and again, you're in IMAx and You feel like you're on a roller coaster. There's all these things like moving around you almost. And like you're, I was like ducking down in my seat with the worm, like crashing into the dune. And it was just all so well done. And then, but I I mentioned it's very quiet all throughout the sequence. And and when I say that, I mean, there's no score really for majority of the scene. Um, But then the way it's like very well, like tied in and like kind of rises up as Paul is succeeding uh, and, and able to mount and ride the worm. I thought it was just such a, such a nice way of incorporating that theme and, and using that to effect in that particular moment. Um, and like just the release and the elation. And it was just like, if you're a fan of the book and if you're a fan of the first movie, I cannot imagine if the rest of the movie is like this and not saying in tone or anything, or even just the style or form, but just with the amount of care and thought that is put into it and has the impact visually and sonically and all these things. I mean, it, this moment was just as good as uh, as anything, if not better than anything in part one in terms of how it was handled. Um, and it was just so pleasant. And I think audiences, even if they're not that big of a fan of of Dune and are just kind of showing up and maybe they saw it on Max or TV, and decide they want to watch the new one in theaters. I mean, I think people are absolutely going to love this movie. Um, there's a lot of dark stuff. There's a lot of interesting things that we have to see how they how they play out. But I think having this type of action and these type of moments is just going to do so much and i thought it was just such a great choice to show as uh, you know an audience um if you're trying to get, try to get people to want to go see this movie or tell other people that they have to go see this movie uh and rave about it like this is just nothing else could top this not the first 10 minutes some maybe some other things that are maybe a little too spoilery um i just thought it was a really good idea really good marketing uh you know tool and of course, people fumbling over their phones at the end to try and like buy tickets with the QR code. I thought, I was like, this is, this is beautiful. Um, and yeah, it tied into like the sizzle reel then. So that was, it was a lot to absorb. Um, but it was very simple, very well done. Um, I got, I wish we had Garen to, to talk because I, knowing him as well, I just can't, I would love to hear exactly what he thought about it, but, um, I know you guys have plenty to say that I, that I'm, I'm sure I missed, but.
2: I was very overwhelmed to say the least. I have to agree with Johnny. Um, the scene starts off very quiet, and especially like we just got done watching part one, it's a lot to take in, especially like the last twenty minutes. There's the fight with Jameis, you know, just we see them walking off the whole desert power. Then, but it's kind of a quiet scene. And honestly, when I saw people walking in the sand, I was like, "Oh, it's Jessica and Paul." So I was kind of. Like, surprised to see it was Stilgard and Paul. And their interaction is great. Like, it's already more comical than anything that we got in part one. And, like, we saw, I think it was in the first trailer ever, nothing fancy, you know. And Paul's just being Paul. But what's amazing, and I I said this a couple times in my head, you know, when I was watching part one again, is Joe Walker's editing, like, just... The shots, the quietness. And then when Paul finally gets up on the worm, you know, both feet up and has the sand hooks and is riding the worm, we hear Hans Zimmer's music from part one again. And I hope that they keep that same music and they don't change it for the actual film because it brings it all back together again. It brings it back to part one. It brings it back to the scene with the bar. It's just. Like, there's a scene that always gets me in part one. It's when Alito's lying there and Paul gets the ring. I know it's basic editing, but I'm always like,
0: F (laughs) Joe Walker,
2: man. That guy can edit. Like, they know how to tell a story. And just like that. And also, something that was impressive that we haven't talked about with the worm, the texture on the worm, how lifelike it could look. Because apparently, there is no giant real sandworm. <laughs> windows, you know, shots that hopefully we'll get a cool making of on the 4K or whatever. But it's just how they put it together. I felt it. I felt like I was like, oh, okay, we're gonna get the sand warm, right? Cool. I was looking <laughs> for something else, but like you, Johnny, I was like, whoa! Like I feel the dust. I feel the sand coming through. You know, it felt really for something that wasn't immersive. It felt immersive, and I hate using that word (laughs) it was just so epic and big and it is like anyone that just saw part one was like oh wow we get to see him write a sandworm and anyone that you talk to about doing they'll either tell you the first thing i don't get it it's weird it's they use weird words like gondra bar benny (laughs) jessler but everyone knows the sandworms and i think that was a great way To show part two be like you wanted sandworms well here you go you know what was interesting in the showing that we saw some people left when the credits ended i mean as the credits were rolling like i'm like do they not know that there's like a little preview for part two but and also it was just great marketing and then we got a sandworm popcorn bucket that we'll talk about (laughs) on, on the next episode but it it was go
1: ahead sorry so i was just going to add to what you were saying when you said immersive that's a really great phrase even if you don't like to use it because i feel like with and bilnov has said this like with imax there's no when it's fully expanded the aspect ratio there's no like like border almost like it, it engulfs like this entire side of a building basically um and i think that this scene because I'm not, like, an IMAX obsessive, like some people maybe. Like, I don't think it's the end-all, be-all necessarily. Uh, it's a great format, especially when it's used well and properly, which, you know, that doesn't happen maybe as often as it should. Dolby is excellent. Uh, you know, in terms of sound, you really can't beat Dolby. And Dolby, when they have Dolby vision, you know, the way they use their uh, projector, it's, it's really fantastic. It's hard to beat. Um, and I would probably recommend Dolby in any instance where you don't actually have the IMAX expanded ratio. However, with this, I was reminded of how awesome it is with a filmmaker and we didn't have to be reminded that that uh, soon after Oppenheimer obviously because we all know how incredible that was and how well it was used there. But I feel it it reminds you like wow, this when you're seeing it like this and it is does blow up all the way on the, on the screen. It is so like, there's there's really nothing like it because in terms of scale and how it approaches, like, when Paul's standing on the dune and the dune's massive, it takes up, like, almost the entire screen. And then there's a whole other huge section of the screen that's looking off in the distance and this worm is taking it up and approaching. Um, there's no other way to, like, really replicate that. And I think for this scene with the ride and how he gets on the worm and then he's, you know, climbing on top of it and the sound and it was just so, like, immersive, as you said. And I think that I would recommend, I wouldn't have said this necessarily before seeing this scene, but after I, like, I don't want to like say you have to see it in IMAX because if you can't, you can't, and that's fine. It's still going to be great either way. But um, if you can see it in IMAX, I think you absolutely need to try and see it at least once because it is a different animal and uh, it's, it's great. And I think that this scene proves that um, about really anything else.
2: Well, part one even has that feeling. It's a different film in IMAX. And like you said, when it's used right, it's a whole different world. Like in part one, when we see the warm come up to him and Jessica, just the scale, like you said, it's that building. Like, whoa, this is massive. You know, even if you got a 70-inch TV, a 85 LQ, whatever, LG's <laughs> playing out there right now, um, it's still not the same feeling. And seeing it in IMAX, if you can, great. And I get it, Some people don't have IMAX next to them. But do yourself a favor. Treat yourself. Go see part two in IMAX. And we haven't seen it yet. And I can tell you, like, the arena scene? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I wish, I, I, I hate that there's a Gladiator 2 coming out. But if they want to re-release the original Gladiator with Russell Crowe IMAX, that's something you want to see in big epic skills. So but that sandworm scene, I I don't want to say I was pleasantly surprised. There was part of me that's like, oh, that's what we're oh, okay. I'm happy <laughs> that we get the scene. Like I wanted something else. But I think that's what Warner Brothers and Legendary wants, you know, them to show more than anything else. And by the way, I know you talked about Denis, but I just loved how he was like saying uh, thank you for coming to, to watch this uh, sneaky preview. And I honestly, thought you can see, <laughs> long live the fighters. But when he said long live cinema, I was like, you go Denis, you're <laughs> you're a fan of filmmaking, and that made me even happier than long live the fighters.
0: And uh, touching the thumbnails, those new new elements from the sandwalk scene. Um, I think, uh, yes, aside what you're you're mentioning about like with uh, Stillgar and, and Paul, like it's really cool. They're they're doing the sandwalk. You know, like out a bit further into the to the sands. Um, and then there, there's that interaction with, with them and there, there, there is the, the lefty there, but what I really love about it is it's so natural because Stilgar, he, he, he's a very serious person, but it's because of that, that you feel, you know, you know, it's there, there's, there's a bit of uh, humor there with, with Paul's interaction, you know, like Paul's, uh, it's fine, you know, he's just going to be like, uh, fly about it. Yeah, yeah no, no. I'm, I'm not going to do any, any dancing when he knows, you know, <laughs> he, he's going to like give it his all. Uh, so, so, so that was, uh really nice it makes me confident that we are going to get like a balance throughout the movie so it's, it's not going to be like that you know hard action throughout that we're going to have those those nice moments and showing the relationship between the characters and that moment with uh shish Huckley, um and like uh, chai like they're, they're sitting there with a whole group of feminine and watching and and, and that, that was also nice like at first when we heard the description about the, the scene and we hadn't watched it yet it was like okay well, what does that mean like a friend is taunting pole but then actually you see that you know this just like fr- friendly uh Teasing, you know, like D- don't embarrass us, you know, like uh, you know, obviously the they're they're all like close to him and the, and they they like him, you know, and, and they want him to succeed. Uh, so so I thought that was cool, and it does show that we're probably going to get like uh, more depth to Shishakli. Sh- we know that she's going to be at least in this scene, and that scene, I guess, much later in the film when uh when like uh, she's attacked by harpoons, mm-hmm. that that scene where where we where we saw the the seal Lago on on the floor in front of us. So it looks like she's going to play play a significant role at, at least. Uh, in, in some parts of the film. So, yeah, but that, that, that was really cool. And just, like, seeing, seeing the, the, the whole thing when, uh, when, when Paul is, is doing, doing the run and the sandworm is coming behind her and, and, and the, the whole dune is basically collapsing and you see, like, how basically the sandworm was, like, rearranging the, the, the landscape. I mean, it's, like, cinema experience. It just doesn't get better than that.
2: Yeah, that scene with Shawnee and... Uh, I, what's her name? Chachak. I can't pronounce She's her. I, A, I was surprised that she was there. And I love that Zendaya slash Chani looks worried. And you know why now? With the blue bandana, it, it's a scene that's very important because of her relationship with Paul and what Paul means to her. Also, I like that Stilgard said, Uso. You know, he didn't call him Paul. He didn't call him Wadid. He said Uso. But I like the banner between Zendaya and her. And I like it. it like you said, it was taunting, but it was a friendly, like, Come on, Paul, you got this. I believe in you. And I like that it wasn't just in English. I like that we got in Fremen. It made it more feel real than sometimes like when I'm watching Doctor Who or other movies or shows that take place in other worlds. It's like, oh, it's default to English. Cool. I get it. Why? But seeing the (laughs) subtitles makes it more feel more real. And that's something that was half in English half in Fremen, but it makes it more realistic that you feel it. And it was just a great scene. And now seeing the Fremen's reactions was also great. I like
1: what you said, um, Marcus, about Stilgar and like the humor, like, and that's consistent with the first movie because he is such a like deadpan. Like he doesn't have like that bone in his body. So it's just fun. When he introduces himself to Duke Leto and they have that back and forth, like he's not trying to be funny. It just, he is because of it, his, the way he is kind of socially awkward. He's in the element that, uh, you know, him talking to Paul or him talking to the, the Duke, like it's just a different environment. So um, I think that, that that's a good thing to point out. And, and Javier Bardem looks like he's going to be a highlight. He's probably going to be one of the fan favorites, I would imagine, uh, with his performance and, and how he uh, rides that line with Solgar.
0: Yeah, so I'd say in short, if you're one of the people in the country that hasn't had this event yet and it's coming to your country, I definitely would, would recommend making it there. Like just seeing that the scene alone is worth it. And of course, all the, all the other uh, footage and, uh, and sales we got. Um, yeah, then after that, like this, this wasn't the end of what, what was shown. So then we got another, uh, montage. I would say maybe it was about like 30 seconds or, or mm-hmm. more. And there we got to see a lot more of, a, of the final battle. Uh, we see like the soundworms like, uh, like going over the glass cave and heading towards the, emperor's that uh, like his, his, his tent base and there's shots of intense fighting, like in the streets, you know, like in the streets of Arakeen. And that's something I that we didn't see much, like in the first movie about like, you know, you know, the actual streets, like outside of the, the, the residence. Um, and then we're seeing like also the fighting going on above with like with ornitobers in the sky and an explosion. So just really spectacular. And, um. And we also see, see one thing that clarifies a bit that, that attack on the harvester, so we see that, uh, it looks like it's, uh, Gertie Halleck, who he's, he's, at the harvester and he's looking out there and uh, like, he's getting ready to fight there And there are these fremen coming out of the sands. Uh, so that's probably like just the moment before, like, uh, Paul recognizes, uh, him within, you know, the, the rear And so that's gonna be a, a, a cool moment, uh, uh, coming up there. Um, yeah, then we also saw like uh, two scenes that, that really, really stood out, uh, to me, um, in, in Endless montage. So it appears that there's a woman, uh, walking on the sands. I mean, you, you can't really make out it's who it is. Like, could it be Jessica? Could it be Chani? Could it be a vision of, you know, some, someone in the, in, in the, future? Um, and, uh, she's walking on the sands and there are Fremen bowing down on both sides. Well, I, I'm assuming it's Fremen, but you know, this is all happening in in the sands, so really intriguing. Like I, at this moment, I have no idea what that could be. I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be like a, a vision that the, the way it's set up or like something from, from the future. Uh, but that's, um, yeah, it's just showing that there's so much we, we haven't seen yet. Um, and then we also get like a shot of, uh, Paul, uh, walking up the stairs with his knife and that's like already in the final scene, uh, inside the emperor's, uh, base that that's uh, tenth base space construction. And, um, it seems like he's going upstairs potentially to where the emperor is seated. So could this be like before the, the fight with, with Bade, he's going up to like fight Bade or after the fight, you know, he beat Bade and then he's walking up to the emperor and he's like, you know, like now it's time for me to take over. So, I, I just uh, can't wait to see those, those, uh, those whole scenes. I would love for that
2: scene just to, for him to walk up to walk and, and just be like, get off your chair, belongs to me. I'm the new boss town. Yeah, I like that scene. Uh, the woman, it could be part of Jessica's vision of the Water of Life, or it could be the knife vision. <laughs> Just saying, maybe that's our Aaliyah right there. No, but those scenes were really cool. Um, I, I'm curious to know how they're going to introduce the Emperor right away. I mean, there was that description that that's in the first 10 minutes of what some people saw. Because I started counting how many times they mentioned The Emperor, and it was a lot. So it's kind of very much, I remember when I was in film school, we studied Butch Cassidy and Sendance Sundance Kid a lot because of the writing and, you know, how great it is. And they talk about Bolivia nonstop. You know, we need to go to Bolivia, Bolivia, Bolivia. Bolivia is a city, a country, you know. But finally, we see Bolivia at the end of the film but it's been built up this whole entire time that it is something so important. And the Emperor, I'm sure, will we'll get early on. But I'm just dying to see Christopher Walken scenes. And just not the, your father was a weak man. You know, I want to see more. I, I'm i dying to see some Christopher Walken. And also, a special feature of the whole cast trying to do their C- Christopher Walken impression. That would be great on <laughs> the Blu-ray release. But the Emperor is, I think, what I'm more excited than Faye about part two. And I'm pretty excited about sweet Faye Rafa.
0: Yeah, that,
1: uh, a couple of things there, Marcus, that vision that you mentioned, it's definitely a vision. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Um, it is very, I mean, it's, <laughs> it is a great example of how much we do not know what we're going to see in this movie and how much Vildoves could dig into other elements of this world, of the future, uh, of Messiah, for example, Um, because it looks, it's in the desert and there's very prominent clouds up in the sky, which we know from part one, there are none on Arrakis, obviously, uh, with no water cycle. And then the, the people bowing, I know you said they were Fremen, but, and they could be, but they are like, I don't think they were naked per se, but they had like nothing on like their upper bodies or their face. Like they were completely bare and they weren't wearing a mask or a helmet or any sort of garment. Um, But it was just a bunch of people like they're almost like black, like very much silhouetted type of figures. And when they were bowing, there was a quick close up shot of one of the figures as it was like as this woman was walking by. And it was almost like the face was like almost distorted with like. A scream like how like wide open the mouth was um of this person so it was a very like like kind of it's a disturbing kind of image i I don't really know what like what to take from it but it was very one of one of if not one of the more exciting um moments for me seeing that it was such a quick clip but it was so like wow like dude i have no idea what that is really and i'm really excited to see i don't expect a clear-cut answer in the film of course but um, for fans of like the books, I think that it, at least it'll be very, very, very interesting. And also, there's another quick close-up I'll mention: Paul seemingly waking up face down in what look in what looks like wet sand of some sort. And so I don't know if that's supposed to be on an Arrakis. I don't know if that's supposed to be a vision. I don't know if it's supposed to be some like another planet. I, it, it was a very like quick like and you'll miss it sort of thing. But we also know in the previous trip that we got an image of an ocean and we got it in the back of what looks like a fremit, someone wearing Fremen garments, looking out at the ocean. So is that the same thing? Is that Paul in the, in the looking at the ocean or is that a different person? Is it real? Is it not like, it, I just love all that that we just don't know. Um, and again, there's gonna be a lot of, I think, great, um, you know, artistic intent with that, that they'll know that Joe Walker will take and, uh, I I I think it's going to be really cool to see just not all the stuff that's on the surface, like the basic plot stuff, but really like what does this mean? And we we already got some of that in part one. We know that I think rewatching it, you're just reminded like, oh, they're showing like this, and that's what this is going to be, and like this is this other person, and like this is what this could signify. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot, and there's a lot of fun, like you know, Jomis being portrayed as like Paul's mentor or friend, and then he kills him. You know, 20 minutes later, it's like there's a lot that there's a lot that you can't really read into or you don't realize how to read into it until like later it has like a double meaning or something so um yeah there's a few quick like very like puzzling but very intriguing shots like that Um and I'm sure we'll have no no shortage of those between Paul and Jessica and maybe Johnny and maybe Aaliyah and like all these other characters that are going to be uh in different scenarios where that, that could be a big factor
2: you know when you mentioned though the Paul waking up with the sand water scene I follow that part in the- in the latest full-on trailer that we got, I was like, maybe that's a vision. And when, like, he has his vision, the vision in the tent, when we see him and Chani and some other people, if you look, Jameis, maybe it was the IMAX that let me see it, but you can see Jameis in the background with them. So they're only visions. You know, it is something that will happen, but how does it happen? We've, We've talked about this for hours and hours on the show about Paul's visions, maybe not a hundred percent clear, like what he sees, but something close to it will happen. You know, like when we see his army holding Atreides flags, and we did get to see some new shots with some Atreides flags. Is it the same copy and paste from part one? No, but it is a vision. It is something that we imagine, you know, so it is interesting And I think Denis has set stuff in motion for Messiah, even in part one when we go back and we'll look at it and see like, oh, I see what you did there. You know, there was the infamous shots also when he's walking with the hood and we're like, oh, that's a really Messiah shot. Now, is that vision also of later in the film when he's more confident of himself or is it actually him walking through Eric King, maybe at the end of the movie. You know, I don't think the end of the movie is going to end with like a medal celebration like in the original Star Wars. (laughs) They all get medals. Granny, we defeated the Emperor. No, I I don't know how it's going to fade to black. You know, I do want the last line of the book to be in there and I don't want to spoil it for non book readers. But I, that's a question also. How does it end? Does it end with a voiceover and we just see Paul? walking through the streets of Eric Is that the last shot? You know, but I think those are all visions. And what's great with the visions is very much like a what-if comic book. What if we do this? What if we do that? We don't have to be a 100% accurate, but we can show you something that is what if. What if this, this happened? And it's funny that you mentioned the whole entire thing with Jameis. I was talking to my wife earlier, she's like, I thought Jameis was going to help him. I'm like, well, he kind of did and his Jameis way. But you think even reading the book, the first time that Jameis is going to be there and be his, his still guard. Eventually the still guard becomes his still guard.
0: Yeah. And, and that's, that's the whole thing with, with the Pesce is like Paul is basically seeing thousands of, of different paths in the, in the future with all like minor and major variations uh, between them and like only a few, like lead troops the, uh, like to the, the way through where, where they make it, uh, true and feel their enemies. So yeah, there, there's a lot going on, on those visions that serve as a, as a warning or as, um, you know, just, just a different possibility to, to ponder and, uh, try what, what could happen if, if they take a different decision. So yeah, definitely, uh, a, a lot to, to unpack here. I think we could. You know, pick some of these um these flashes and like maybe maybe deep dive on those, and uh, I think someone will will appear in, in the upcoming uh, teasers as well, so you can look forward to more uh, more breakdowns there. Uh, so for now, let's let's go ahead and uh, and sign off for today. Hey, great to be back on the show after a little
2: bit of hiatus. I'm back. Don't worry. Sorry if you missed my face. If you didn't miss my face, well, it's here. So yeah. No honestly, you can find me Dowdy all the social media. I'm super excited to talk about Dune 2. We're finally in the year of Dune 2. We're months, a month away, even less if you got early showing. Uh, it's going to be full Dune mode for the next couple of months here. Yeah, I
1: can say better than that. It's going to be uh, <clears throat> just really uh, like a freight train, I feel like, in terms of just the amount of, of material we're going to start getting, marketing, interviews, premieres behind the scenes, uh, all, all, types of advertisements that you probably can't even imagine. So keep your eyes out uh, and open. I think, uh, you'll see a lot of pretty cool stuff and we're excited to discuss and break it down. Johnny Sobchak here as always. Uh, thank you for watching and you can catch me on Twitter, Letterboxd, Instagram, et cetera, at Johnny Sobcheck. and, uh, see you next time. Yeah,
0: and this was Marcus Gabriel. You can, uh, find me at Marcus's writing on, um, X and yeah, yeah. Facebook. And yeah, of course, writing on the internet. And yeah, uh, we're on a home stretch, uh, we're excited to have you join us till next time. Take care. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe and turn on notifications. So, you know, when the next episode drops, stay tuned to DuneNewsNet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.